0: During Lent, we have been spending a few moments uh, in a variety of the prophetic books as we prepare to come to Easter. And this morning, we are um, looking at kind of an overview of the prophecy of Hosea, um, but using just the few short verses that Donna read. Now, Hosea is one of the most beautiful and curious and unique stories in the Bible. We don't know much about Hosea. We know that he prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel in the 800s, roughly BC. He wrote one of the books that we refer to as a minor prophet, which doesn't mean less uh, less important, but it means little, literally shorter than the longer books like Isaiah and Jeremiah. He was most likely a rabbi, probably a a well-respected professional religious person. He had his life in order, and then God showed up, and God tells him, I have a job for you to do, and sort of like Jonah being told to preach mercy to the Ninevites, we can imagine Hosea saying, you want me to do what? God says, go down to the red light district and find a promiscuous woman, a prostitute. Okay, God, that sounds fine. I'll carry my copy of the four Jewish spiritual laws and try to convert her in the red light district. And God says, no, Hosea, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children, With her. For like an adulterous wife, this land that is Israel is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Come again. As strange as these instructions are, this holy man obediently goes down to the red light district and finds Gomer and he takes her back to the pastoral manse, as it were. A scandalous act, which would certainly get people talking. Now, things go surprisingly okay for a while. They have two children, and so far their marriage seems to be an example of the power of redemptive love. Look at what Hosea's sacrifice has brought forth in Gomer's life but maybe she gets bored with the life of a rabbi's wife, and she starts thinking about her former life. Maybe it's more exciting. Maybe she liked the attention of a variety of men rather than one. Maybe she likes the autonomy. Well, she gets pregnant a third time, And each of the children so far have been given a a symbolic name, representative of God's plan for Israel. But the third one is named Lo-Ami, or Not Mine, Not My People. Now, growing up with that name might be like growing up uh, with Johnny Cash's Boy Named Sue as a name. Life ain't easy for a boy named Sue can imagine growing up with a name like Not Mine. And can you imagine your father calling you that all the time? We don't know what exactly this was drawn from. It's symbolic. We don't know if perhaps she had shacked up with someone else and the, the boy is actually not Hosea's. But eventually, Gomer leaves and goes back to her former life. And in fact, it's not that she just falls back into mere promiscuity, a few one-night stands, an affair here and there. She apparently falls for another man and is in return loved by him. They don't sneak around, but they live together openly and defiantly. And what does God tell Hosea to do? Go show your love to your wife again. She is representative of God's love for Israel, repeatedly rejected. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. That sounds like a funny little addendum. There's a a very involved Uh, discussion of what that means that we don't have time to go into. But as we know, women in that culture had very little agency. Not only does she live with her new lover, and that at least is by choice, her new lover now owns her. And so Hosea can't just go and invite her back. He must purchase her back. It's not entirely clear how a price is established for Gomer, but imagine being bid on like property. And not only that, imagine that the bids are quite low. Shekels, a homer, and some barley. Now, I don't know what that adds up to exactly, but it ain't very much. Slaves might go for more than that. She's virtually worthless to the community that she's left her family to be a part of. But Hosea comes and finds her and buys her back. What will happen now? Will he exact his revenge? Will he enslave her? Will he punish her for her adultery? Certainly, he wouldn't open himself up to her again, not after what she's done, not after the the public shame. He won't risk the pain and the loss and the public scorn and embarrassment again. So what happens? Well, we don't entirely know. The narrative action stops, and then we get eight chapters of prophecy the narrator leaves us hanging. It's a little bit like the end of Inception. Do you remember the spinning top thingy that just keeps spinning? And right when you think it's going to fall down, the movie fades to black. It's unresolved. But as sure as Christopher Nolan left us hanging on purpose, he didn't just run out of ideas, Hosea didn't just forget to give us a narrative conclusion. Why is that? Well, we can speculate. And I would speculate that the reason is, is that loving someone, really loving someone, attaching yourself to them, to their future, loving someone always opens us up to uncertainty. And if you love like God tells Hosea to love Gomer, Gomer, You're risking your future. You're opening yourself up to possible heartache. If Gomer runs back into his arms and everyone lives happily ever after, then maybe we begin to expect happy endings like we do in most movies. If I love like this, then I will be rewarded and things will go well for me and perhaps my marriage. We don't see that. We don't get the happy ending, but we also don't see her openly reject Hosea and then grow cynical about the redemptive power of love. Hosea's relationship with Gomer symbolizes God's love that avoids sentimentality at the cost of real life and real experience on one hand, or it avoids that cynical posture where love is stripped of its power of transformation. God's love, that is, true love, which he asks Hosea to demonstrate, it doesn't say change or I'll reject you, nor does it say live however you want want to, indulging in your destructive desires. God's forbearing love goes and seeks out the rescue of his beloved, even when it's not deserved. Go and show your love to her again. And yet at the very same time, this love places demands upon its object. It invites a reciprocation of love and a faithfulness to the relationship. Hosea tells Gomer, you are to live with and love me alone. It is a love that, like God's, is full of grace and truth, forgiveness and faithfulness. And all of this is meant to be a living parable of the love of God toward his people, Israel, and ultimately toward you and me. God doesn't love, you see, at a distance, but he loves up close. He loves intimately. He opens himself up to us, and he makes himself vulnerable. The God of the universe possessing all power and right to constrict us conscript us into his service instead makes himself vulnerable. He enters into a relationship of redeeming love. God, you see, is a husband like Hosea, whose bride is regularly unfaithful. He's a father whose children forsake and leave him. And yet, he keeps on pursuing them. He keeps on loving them he keeps on forgiving forgiving and offering restoration the next 8 chapters of prophecy are about the devastation that israel has brought upon itself by its own unfaithfulness and yet and it includes the judgment that will fall upon them as a result and yet through it all there is this this echo this subtext of redeeming love that it will be love not judgment that is the final verdict that God almost can't help himself in restoring Israel one more time and at the end of the book in chapter 12 we read God tells him I will heal their waywardness I will heal their waywardness. I will not reject them. I will not distance myself from them, but I will heal them and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. Real love, friends, doesn't just stay, but it speaks. Real love interjects itself. Real love brings healing real love cares enough to make demands of faithfulness in verse one we read go and show love and this would have meant something in the hebrew mind and in the context of the hebrew bible that is far more expansive than our modern ideas of love the Semantic range of the word love in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament, by the way, is very broad. It's very expansive, and it's full of action, not just emotion, not just feeling. It incorporates romantic affection, to be sure, but it also has the sense of loyalty, of active compassion, of Aligning and allying yourself with someone else, no matter what. Hosea doesn't come and shame Gomer. He doesn't reject Gomer because of her sin or use his power over her to force her to do what's right. See, that's truth without grace. You're living a sinful life, stop it or else. But neither does he indulge her. Whatever you want to do is fine. Whatever makes you happy, that's okay with me. See, that's grace without truth. Instead, he does the costly thing. He buys her back. He doesn't wait around until she changes her ways and comes slinking back to her husband. He goes and seeks her out and he redeems her. He loves, in spite of her sin, grace, and he asks her to change, to live with him within boundaries, truth. See, friends, we'll never experience transformation with just grace or just truth. We need the tenderness of grace that says, no matter what, I love you, and my love is beyond your control. God says he loves Israel freely, and yet because he loves them, he says, I am willing to seek your renewal and your healing, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to see it through. One of the things that's so exciting about falling in love with someone, getting engaged or married, or beginning to date someone seriously is the sense that someone else out there is attracted to you, that you've been singled out as someone that the other person wants to spend time with, that they can't get enough of you, that they're willing to consider aligning themselves, allying themselves with you for the rest of their lives. We love this. It's a beautiful thing. And it's kind of flattering that someone would say no to three billion other people to be married to and say, I want to be married to you. Another human looks at us and says, Hey, I like what I see. In some ways, that's how God's love is, He likes what He sees. He likes the image of himself that is inside us. We are created in beauty and delight and honor. And yet at the same time, the hard thing about God's love is that it's not all that flattering. In fact, his love is quite promiscuous. You see, we we want to win him over. We want him to single us out because we are the most beautiful, lovely person on the planet. We wanna win him over with our good looks, our theological sophistication and orthodoxy, the manner in which we perform our devotional duties. We are singling ourselves out for the receipt of God's love. But instead, friends, we are loved like Gomer. We are loved not because of our performative loveliness, but simply because God chooses to bestow his love on us. And not simply in word, but in costly action. For why do we celebrate Easter other than the fact that God says, to Jesus the prophet, as he said to Hosea the prophet, go and show love to my people. Go and buy them back. Buy them back from their slavery to sin and the self and ultimately to death. But instead of shekels and barley, and homers, whatever those are. Jesus Jesus purchases his bride, you and I, with himself. Margaret Alter says in the quote in front of, in the front of the bulletin, Jesus is convinced that human beings languish in their need for forgiveness. No matter how obviously guilty or no matter how righteously self-justified they are, Jesus seeks to return human beings to themselves, to their communities, and to God. No individual is too deeply alienated, not Zacchaeus, a traitor to his people, nor the woman caught in the very act of adultery, nor, as I'm sure she would say, Gomer. Jesus meets these people in their suffering and in their sin with forgiveness. We complete our service this morning as we do each and every Sunday by celebrating this purchase, by celebrating the fact that God says to Jesus, the prophet, not to go into the world to judge the world, but to save the world with love. We come to celebrate this redemption and that we are included personally, bought back from slavery, not with money or goods, but with the very body and blood of Jesus Christ himself. Let's confess our faith together and then we will come to the table Let me pray for us as we do so. Father, I pray that each of us would see in our unique way how precious we are to you. That even when we wander intentionally or just out of habit, you still have us on your heart. You still have us on your mind you still are willing to go to the ends of the earth to redeem us. There is no cost too great to purchase our salvation, for you did not withhold even your own son, yet gave him up to die for all of us. I pray that as we approach this week, the coming of Palm Sunday and later of Easter, that this story would be personalized for us, individually and as a community. Father, let, our, let us see ourselves like Gomer, the object of your unceasing love and let us live as Hosea does, bestowing love again and again and again on others. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, your son, Amen.